If you will, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. So we are... This week we'll begin week uh, 43 of our Read Through the Bible Together. And so what I thought I would do this morning is do something just a tad different than... um, what we would normally do, and that is, um, I'm not going to do much of any preaching this morning as much as I'm just going to uh, let the Word speak for itself and let the words of uh, Scripture themselves just kind of feed their way uh, into our heart and work their way into our heart this morning. Uh, basically, what we're going to do is we're going to do a kind of an entire journey um, through the book of Acts, just hitting some uh, some of the big ideas or the high points um, of the entire book. And really what triggered this was verse 8 of chapter 1, and it's a familiar verse if you've been in church any amount of time. And so if you're there in chapter 1, we'll read that verse together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, and that's the key word, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what I want us to look at this morning is to take a little journey through the book of Acts, um, looking at what it looks like to be spirit-filled, all right, because Here's the promise, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be filled with power, dunamis, dynamite. So this explosive power is coming into your life uh, as a believer of Jesus Christ. And so the the ultimate question is, uh, especially in our day, uh, with so many books and so many sermons that have been preached on what it means to be spirit-filled, what we're going to do is just look at the Bible and look at an entire, an entire book dedicated to the Spirit. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. The book of Acts is about uh, a group of people in action because of the Spirit. And so what does that look like? And so as we see what it looks like in their life, then the question is, does this look like my life? And if the answer to that is no, and the answer to the question, uh, are you a Christian, is yes, then if I am a Christian and and filled with the Spirit, yet my life does not look like what I'm reading in the book of Acts, then why is that so? So before we answer that question, let's take a look and see what it looks like to be Spirit filled. Okay? So, number one, being, spirit, uh, being, uh, being filled with the Spirit empowers us to speak with boldness. Being filled with the, power, uh, with the Spirit empowers us to speak with boldness. Don't confuse boldness with arrogance. Okay? Don't confuse boldness with. Um, 
this, um, well, I guess arrogance is the best word because there's a lot of people that speak with quote unquote boldness for God. And really they're not speaking with boldness as much as they are speaking with arrogance. Okay. Um, let's look at chapter two, verse one through eight. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, okay. I talked about this in our life group, that plural pronoun, they, this is the 120 that you read about in chapter one, verse 15, made up of the 12 disciples, Mary, the mother of Jesus and other women and other men. Okay. So this is a diverse group of men and women. They were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. Again, uh, keep noticing the fact that this plural pronoun, they, them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues and the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of uh, each of us in his own native language. So the Spirit comes and it gives them power to begin to speak. Okay? It gives them power. Now look, the, the reason why I kept pointing out this plural pronoun is when it says, and you shall receive power, uh, that's really plural as well. It should, it could be southernly translated as y'all. Y'all shall receive power. And so when this spirit comes upon them, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell them, automatically they are launched out into the world. And, and if you read this, if you continue to read chapter 2, you realize that, that God has brought people of all nations into Jerusalem, and they are launched into that arena with the boldness to speak about the mighty works of God. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 3 through 6. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, this man, he's, he's sick, uh, asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. I love that. But what I do have, I give to you. We can give the world silver and gold. We can give the world finances. We can support and underwrite and undergird many ministries. But that is not what, that is not the greatest gift that we have to give. Many of us don't possess a lot of money to give. But we have something even greater than financial resources. What we do have is Jesus Christ. And to give Him is to give the greatest gift. Acts chapter 4, verse 17 through 20. But in order 
that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and they charged them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. Now watch this. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Do you remember in chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You shall be my what? Witnesses. If you need a definition of witness, verse 20 of chapter 4 is the definition of a witness. What we have seen and heard. Look what he says, though, before that. We can't help but speak of that. That's what happens when the Spirit of the living God comes to live inside of you and you meet the living Christ. You cannot help but speak of what you have seen and heard. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted up their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, watch, by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, watch this, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now watch, watch. This is the same group of people that had, has already been filled with the spirit. But notice what it says. And they were filled with the Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Listen, when, you get, when we are saved, we are given the Holy Spirit. But the Bible tells us over and over and over again, we must continually be filled with the Spirit. And so they are refilled with the Spirit. And guess what they're able to do? They're able to continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. Again, not arrogance, but boldness. And, and, what, and, and what does boldness looks like, look like? It is simply you and I speaking what God has already said. And you just have to consider what that looks like in our culture today. You know, it doesn't take much... It doesn't... <laughs> It doesn't take much to be bold in our society today. There, there, are a lot, there are plenty of hot button issues that if we Christians just simply said what God said about it, we would find ourselves in a lot of hot water. It takes boldness to speak in our day. But you don't have to say much 
in order to be bold. You just have to speak. Next, being filled with the Spirit infuses us with deep abiding community. Being filled with the Spirit empowers us, infuses us with deep abiding community. Now, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. So being filled with the Spirit infuses us with deep abiding community. Now this is after, after Peter's preached, 3,000 people are saved, so the church goes from 120 to 3,120 in an instant. Now I want you to see the outflow of what begins to happen when people get saved and get filled with the Spirit. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. All right? So they devoted themselves. That's key. Devotion. To what? To the teaching. Not devotion to church attendance. Do you know you can be devoted to church and not the teachings of the church? And the fellowship, the koinonia, the, 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 the inner workings, the relational aspect, the intimacy between believers. To the breaking of bread, the, the communion, the participation in the Lord's table, and the prayers. And look what happened. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This, that's not socialism. They, they, they weren't trying to strike an equilibrium of income and possessions. What was happening was if, the, if there was a brother or sister in need and I had an opportunity to meet the need, then I met the need. And sometimes, that, sometimes meeting that need would require me divesting myself of something that I own in order to help someone else who's a brother or sister in Christ in need. Because remember this, many of these people that find themselves in need in the early church are in need because they have become Christians. They have lost jobs. They have been kicked out of their homes. They have uh, lost their uh, source of income. Because they have become Christians. They literally, their Christianity has brought on them a destitution. And so what does the church do? The church begins to rally and help and undergird and support and lift up the needs of their brothers and sisters. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Listen, I believe that one of the, one of the reasons why they, the Lord continued to add to their number day by day was because the work of the Spirit had built a community that would support those who would come to faith in Christ. Again, remember... It was a risky decision. And think about how many people might not come to faith in Christ 
if they knew that there was no support from the community of faith. But because the community of faith was being filled with the Spirit constantly and living in the Spirit and being Spirit-filled, guess what they did? Every time someone would come into the family of God and they came in with a need, the church was there to rally to meet that need. That's what happens when people are Spirit-filled and therefore a church is Spirit-filled. Next, being being filled with the Spirit enables us to speak with life-giving power. With life-giving power. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming uh, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of them came to about, uh, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Listen, we have, when, when you and I are filled with the Spirit of God, something happens to us. And what begins to happen to us is that we, begin, we become people that speak life into other people. Now look, look, I'm not talking about that kind of hokey, uh, pokey kind of stuff that goes on uh, on Christian television about positive confession and, and, and you know, and, and, and well, I'm just going to speak positively in somebody's life to, to bring life. That's not what I'm... Do you remember what they said that they were preaching Jesus and the resurrection. That's the life. That's the life-giving word that we preach to people. Why? Because people are dead. People that are not Christians are dead in trespasses and sin. And what do they need? They need to hear that they are dead in their sin so that they can hear that there is life in Christ, that they can be raised from their deadness to newness in life. That their old life can pass away. Their old life that is dead. And new life can come. But many of those who heard the word. Didn't say all of those. But many of those who heard the word believed. How many people do we come in contact with. That need to hear the word of life. They need us to speak the truth. They need us to speak life into them. We see that in the Old Testament where uh, 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 Ezekiel goes and speaks to the dry bones and they come to life. God has given you and, I, you and I a message, a message of life that we, when we are filled with the Spirit, we can go and speak and believe that God can bring life into death. Next, being filled with the Spirit leads us to take sin seriously. We won't read all of this, but in Acts chapter 5, it's a very famous and familiar story. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, husband and wife, real estate team, they sell some property, and they, they bring the proceeds back, but yet they, don't, they, they keep some from themselves. And, and uh, the husband, Ananias, comes back first, and uh, he lies to, to Peter about, the actual amount of the transaction and 
God strikes him dead. And then uh, Sapphira, his wife, comes in a few hours later and is asked about the property, and she too lies, and she too is struck dead. And, and they're not struck dead because they lie to the apostles. They, the, the, the text clearly says that they were struck dead because they had lied to God. And so the point of it is being filled with the Spirit uh, leads us to take sin seriously. Being filled with the Spirit leads us to take sin seriously. And a Spirit-filled church and Spirit-filled believers, there's a seriousness about sin. There's a seriousness about sin. Now look, we preach a message of grace, and it is a message of grace. But grace does not give quarter to sin. Grace does not let sin be at home in the life of a believer. Grace is not the excuse for the believer to uh, not deal with his sin. Grace is actually the fuel that we throw on the fire that increases our intensity against our sin. And so when a church is filled with the Spirit, because its members are filled with the Spirit, there's a seriousness about sin. But notice what I said before we got to there's a seriousness about sin. There's a seriousness about seeing people saved. Next, being filled with the Spirit makes Jesus undeniable in our city and far beyond. Being filled with the Spirit makes Jesus undeniable in our city and far beyond. Acts chapter 14, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of John, Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus There is a way when you are filled with the Spirit to live your life in such a way that no matter your length of education or lack of education, it doesn't matter with Jesus. Because when these men spoke, it was known that they were uneducated, it was known that they were common. But how did they recognize they had been with Jesus? Because what they said is what Jesus said. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest and questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. That'd be something really good to be accused of. Hey, we don't like what you people are doing. But what are we doing? You're filling our city. You're filling our community. You're you're filling this, fill in the blank with the teachings of Jesus. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus 
whom you killed, hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Look at this. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now look at the next verse. And when they heard this, they were mad enraged and wanted to kill them. But watch, this, is, this is what's interesting. Watch this. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, or Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in high honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For, these, for before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. And he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and and it came to nothing. And after him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan... Or this understanding is of men. Look at that. It will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Why? Because you will be found opposing God. And so they took, they took, they took his advice. <laughs> and so they beat him and they sent him on the way and told him not to continue to speak about Jesus. Being filled with the Spirit empowers us with an unquenchable and unstoppable drive for gospel education. Acts 5.42 says, And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Notice that. Every day, the temple, house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching. Some of us can easily say, well, it's a different time, it's a different place, it's a different culture. We can't literally get together every day. We can't literally go to church every day. And I agree with that. But we have even easier ways of communicating today than even they did in those days. The point of it is they were together. Their lives were intertwined. Why? Because they were filled with the Spirit. There was something about the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them that brought them together, that united them. 
They were a family. They were together. They weren't blood family, but they were, they were family in spirit. And I've always said spirit is thicker than blood. Next, being filled with the Spirit ensures suffering and persecution. Now, that's not, that's not going to be a popular point here. But I could give you, and I'm not going to do this for time's sake, I could take you to Acts 7, Acts 11, Acts 13, and we could see over and over and over again the ongoing persecution in the church. What I find interesting that I will point out to you is that there was, in Acts 11, there was great persecution um, as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And then in Acts 13, let me get this on the screen for you so you can see this. I skipped it. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were pointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting about that is that they had left Iconium earlier because of persecution. And now, they're, now they've been persecuted, right? And now they're going back to an area that they had already been persecuted in. When, when you and I are filled with the Spirit of God, we're not going to, listen, we're not going to face the kind of persecution that they faced in that day. But listen, you and I have to anticipate that there is going to be a level of persecution in our life when we live a Spirit-filled life. Why? Because a Spirit-filled life is a speaking life. We speak what God has said. We can't help but speak what God has said. And anytime you speak what God has said, trust me, it's going to get you into some trouble. It's going to bring some discomfort into your life. Yes, even some suffering into your life. Next, being filled with the Spirit leads to divine appointments. It leads to divine appointments. Philip, in Acts chapter 8, was in the middle of a revival, and all of a sudden, the, an angel comes to him and says, look, you need to take a trip. You need to go south. Rise up and go to the south, <clears throat> to the road that goes down to Jerusalem, to Gaza. And he arose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official, who was in charge of the queen's treasure. He had come to, to Jerusalem and worship and returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
Then Philip opened, opened his mouth. There it is again, beginning with the scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, what hinders me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And when they both went into the water, Philip and the eunuch, he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So when you and I are filled with the Spirit, when we're walking in the Spirit, trust me, divine appointments just seem to be everywhere. Opportunities to talk to people, everywhere. Being filled with the Spirit breaks down barriers for gospel ministry. I wish I, again, I wish I had time to go into all these. Just write Acts chapter 10. Just read the whole entire uh, chapter. It's the chapter where the, the angel comes to Peter and, and he has this vision about bacon. All right? And about what was unclean is now clean. And he wants him to go to the house uh, of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. And it is, and, and Acts 10 is a pivotal moment in the life of the book of Acts, because all of a sudden we begin to see uh, 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 the, the ministry of the gospel to the Gentiles began in Acts chapter 10. But remember, it said that, that the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for what? The Jew first, then the Gentile. So the first eight chapters of the book of Acts is about the gospel to the Jews. Chapter 9, as Paul say, chapter 10 now begins the ministry of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so we see how being filled with the Spirit leads to barriers of gospel ministry being broken down. The Spirit will take us into places that's hard. Places where uh, the gospel is not even wanted. And that is why today that we have missionaries by the hundreds going into unreached people groups. Why? Because they are being filled with the Spirit and God is giving access and breaking down walls and barriers to take the gospel into uh, predominantly Islamic cultures or Asian cultures where the gospel is not wanted. Let's move on real quick. Being filled with the Spirit... Being filled with the Spirit makes the church a missional machine. It makes you a missional machine. One of the ways I've seen the Spirit move in our church is it's taken people uh, from, the, uh, uh, from the seat into the mission field. I've been astounded over the years of being at this small church at the vast numbers of people that have gone to the mission field and not gone to the mission field once, but multiple times. The people that have been called into full-time ministry uh, through the ministry and the life of this church. Being filled with the Spirit makes the church a missional machine. Acts chapter 13, just write that down. Verses 1 through 3, they're praying and they're fasting. And all of a sudden, the Spirit comes in and it says, let's set aside Paul and Barnabas for the gospel ministry. And then those men are launched out in the gospel ministry. And that begins the missional movement in the book of Acts. And when the church is filled with the Spirit, the church is a missional machine. 
Being filled with the Spirit changes communities and cultures and commodities. What do I mean by that? That Spirit changes communities, cultures, and commodities. Write these verses down. Because again, for the sake of time, we don't have time to go through all of them. Acts chapter 14, 1 through 7. Write that down. That, that's that's, that's a, a great story in the book of Acts where as the gospel goes into uh, a, a community, in, uh, into a community, the whole community begins to, to change. Then in Acts 17, write down Acts chapter 17. As we see in Acts chapter 17, uh, we, we see uh, the, some of the, uh, uh, we see Paul and some of his missionary companions huddled up in the house of Jason, and they're knocking at the door, and the city authorities want them to come out. Why? Because they said, those men have come here and they have, these are the men that have turned the world upside down and they've come here to turn our community upside down. Acts chapter 19, we see, <laughs> we see the whole way of life change. We see, and what I mean by commodities, uh, we, we see that these books that were so valuable in that day had been brought because these people had come to the gospel and been saved and they were given up their old lives and they were given up their old practices and they were given up their old ways of making money and they were bringing their books and they were burning their books and the, the, the dollar figure was astronomical. Why? Because all of a sudden, the, the way that that money was viewed, the way that money was made uh, was totally changed as the gospel came in, as the gospel began to infiltrate a particular community. The culture was changed. The community was changed. The way that money was made and spent was changed. Then I've got two more, and then we're done. Being filled with the Spirit empowers us to live our lives cheaply or to hold our lives cheaply. You may say, what do you, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by holding our lives cheaply? Acts chapter 14, it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. (laughs) Paul got so beat up that they thought he was dead. And then he, I I just picture in my mind him laying there motionless. Everybody leaves, people are huddled over him. And all of a sudden he just kind of sets up something like out of a horror movie. And he just stands up and he's like, all right, let's go on. So they go down and they do some ministry somewhere else. And then they finish ministry there. And Paul's like, all right, I want to go back to where I was just, just about killed. 
I want to go back there. Why? Because I want to strengthen the brethren. I, I want them to know that this is, this is the way Christianity is. We're strengthened through our tribulations. I want to go back and be a source of strength for them. And so he does. Howard Guinness in 1939 one of the early founders of the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, wrote a book called Sacrifice. He was trying to do then what I'm trying to do now. And this is what he wrote. Listen. Where are the young men and women of this generation who will hold their lives cheap and be faithful even unto death, who will lose their lives for Christ, flinging them away for for love of Him? Where are those who will live dangerously and be reckless in service? Where are the men of prayer Where are the men who count God's word of more importance to them than their daily food? Where are the men who, like Moses of old, commune with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend? Where are God's men in this day of God's power? Indeed, where are those who say with Paul in Acts 24, 20, but I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. Being filled with the Spirit leads us to strengthen the church. Acts 15, 41 says, And he went through Syria and Sicily, strengthening the churches. Acts 16, 5 said, The churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. If we want to have a strong church, listen, we must be filled with the Spirit. Churches are weak. Churches fall apart because the members are not filled with the Spirit. Spirit Spirit-filled Christians are a strengthening agent to the church. Being filled with the Spirit leads us to a lifestyle of worship and witnessing. You remember Acts chapter 16, they're thrown into the, into the Philippian jail. And what happens? They just began to sing, right? Why? Because that was the way they lived their life. Paul and Silas did not change the way they lived their life because of their circumstances. They began to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And they sang until the jail was shaken. In Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, we read these words. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and to Apollonia, they they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. Paul just, Paul did not change much about his daily life or his daily routine when he became filled with the Spirit. Paul just kept on doing what Paul had always done. And the only difference was, is that now what he was done, now what he was doing was being guided and directed by the Spirit because he was filled with the Spirit. Paul was, I mean, there was nobody on the, uh, uh, the scale of uh, religiosity in Paul's day that was any greater than Paul. Paul said, I, I exceeded all of them, even even his own instructors and teachers. And so Paul didn't say, well, you know what? That was my, that, that's what I, I used to do. I used to go to the temple. 
But I'm not doing that anymore because I'm a Christian. Paul's like, no, I'm, I'm going to keep going there. Why? Because those same people that I once used to be around and hang around and do life with, guess what? They need the gospel. And so he went right back to where he, where he came from, and he just went back with a different message. And you and I, in our daily lives, our daily night lives, if we're filled with the Spirit, will be marked by witnessing and worshiping. And being filled with the Spirit leads us to live our lives in true sacrifice. All I can tell you, just read the whole book. It's just nothing but a book of sacrifice. Acts 15, 26 says that they risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, let's ask ourselves a hard question in closing. When was the last time we really risked something for Jesus? I mean, I mean it was a risk. And what I mean by that is, is that you were so out on a limb that if God didn't come through, it was going to be bad. You're like, I, I just don't know if, I mean, is that really kind of the Christianity that we should have? Is a Christianity that, that takes risks, I mean, that, that gambles in a sense? That's the only kind of Christianity there is. It's the kind that takes a risk. Not, not blind faith. Not just jumping off a cliff. God doesn't ask us to do that. But he gives us his word. And if you read his word and you say, this is what God said, this is what I must do, you see all kind of risk in that. leads us, he will lead us to live our lives in sacrifice. So how do we do this? How do we live a spirit-filled life? Well, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. Present tense, which means to go on being filled with the Spirit. That's what we're called to do. What does that look like? I mean, do we, do we set in our you know, we find a room in our house or a closet that we get in and we cross our legs and, you know, we do some kind of chant or incantation or is there some kind of special prayer that we pray or there's so many scriptures that we quote in order to be filled with the Spirit. The Bible doesn't give us any kind of set pattern to be filled with the Spirit except for this. It's found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And it says this, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Dwell means take up residence. Let it dwell, take up res residence in you richly. The only way that I can tell you this morning to be filled with the Spirit is to take the word of God, which is Spirit, and truth, and to begin to saturate your life, and you've heard me say this a thousand times, with the Word of God, day in, day out, meditate on it, think on it like Psalms 1 says, 
day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. Meditate on it constantly, profusely, perpetually in your life. And then daily ask the Lord to fill you with His Spirit. But the Lord can only fill you to the degree that you and I consume and fill ourselves with his word. So let me leave you with this thought. You're full of something this morning. You're full of something this morning. I'm full of something this morning. The question is, what are you filled with? And the only way you and I can evaluate what we're filled with is to look at what we've been taking in. And whatever we've been taking in, that's what's filling us. What'd you do the first thing you got up this morning? Phone, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TV, news, sports, music. I mean, what did you, how did your day begin? What did you start inundating your life with right off the bat. And whatever that is, that's what you're filled with. And whatever you're filled with is what's going to fuel you. And whatever fuels you is what's going to drive you. What you've heard this morning is just a small microcosm of what it looks like the outworkings of a spirit-filled life. Is this what your life looks like? Is this what my life looks like? Is this what our church looks like? If not, then my question to us this morning is, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Do we even care about it? And if we care about it, then what are we going to do about it? I want you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. The only thing that we can do about it is exactly what we talked about last week. Is that church, we must start in, in the right posture. We must start in a posture of repentance. And then we must next make the commitment to being exactly what God has called us to be is to actually begin to do what God has called us to do. And that is to be filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. I'm going to ask you to remain right where you are in the posture that you are right now. And I'm just going to ask you to just... just quickly process what you've heard this morning. And if you say, this is just not me, but I want that to be me, then right where you are, just ask God to forgive you. Confess, confess that sin before him. And then ask for his help. Ask for his enablement. And then seal that commitment this morning by going to the Lord's table and partaking 
of the Lord's body and blood as a reminder of what he has done for us so that we can obey what he has commanded us to do. So Heavenly Father, in these next few, min- in these next few minutes, grant to us repentance. Grant to us a, a, a fresh and a new commitment to being spirit-filled and to living the life that we see being lived out in the book of Acts. Not so that we can have any fame or glory, but so that your name would be glorified and your name would be great amongst the peoples. And then, Father, help us to seal that commitment this morning at your table as we remember what you have done for us so that we can be true and faithful to the commitment that we make this morning in Christ's name. I'm just going to ask you just to remain there with your head bowed and your eyes closed and just spend these next few moments in prayer. I know the silence is going to be somewhat awkward. But when you finish this time of seeking the Lord, if you're going to if you're renewing in your commitment to being filled with the Spirit daily, then just as soon as you're done with that, just make your way to the Lord's table and seal that commitment by partaking of the table.